really good to be here. Thank you, Pastor John and Crystal, for um, allowing me to minister in your church. Um, I feel fortunate getting a second shot as well. I thought maybe after this morning, <laughs> get a call, you know, hey, like we're cancelling. We're cancelling tonight eh? because of the weather <laughs> or something. Anyway, it's such a beautiful church, and I really believe that you're on the cusp of something, and your pastors have a heart to really uh, see the power and presence of God in your meetings, which is what we all want to see. All have a God encounter, isn't that true? Uh, but we've got we to gotta step in. We've got to like press in. It's not just going to happen. We've got to activate it. It's kind of like um, when Israel was set free from Egypt, God went before them and parted the Red Sea. But when they got to the River Jordan to step into the promise, they had to actually step into the flooded river before God would act. And so sometimes we're kind of waiting for, you know, we're waiting, God, when? When, when God, when? We're waiting for him. God is, in fact, waiting for us. It's a step in faith that brings the miracle. Eh? Anyway, so good to uh, be here. Josh and Sarah. How come you got such a beautiful wife? How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's the favor of God. It is, isn't it? It is a mystery. That's incredible. <laughs> Did you answer his ad? Uh, in <laughs> you know, Josh, I don't know if you realize it, but you actually carry a prophetic anointing. And I want to encourage you just to be a lot bolder around that. You're such a humble man, and you know, that's why God has given you such a good gift, many gifts including this one here. Yeah. I mean, best gift of all. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But, you know, you hear from God, you see, you discern. And so I want to just encourage you, you know, with that, to continue to step out and to develop that because the prophetic ministry will become an aspect and a feature, if we're going to use those words, of your ministry contribution for the building up of the church and the body of Christ. You... I th yeah, you know it, you're nodding your head now, but you've, you, know, you needed the affirmation because yes. you're a little hesitant around it. And I'm just encouraging you to be really bold. It's not you. You're not thinking wrong. You're not making anything up. You're hearing the voice of the Lord. Okay? If you're not, she'll let you know. Okay? And you can be confident and bold in your proclamation. I'm not saying, you know, thus saith the Lord, but you know, I sense God saying. When you're prophesying, never sign God's name to it because we're earthly vessels, aren't we? <laughs> Don't always get it right. But you know, keep going, man. I love, I, I love what's on your heart. And there's the wisdom of God right there next to you, my friend. You listen to her. Because when you get a little carried away, all right, She's the one that brings you back to reality. Not that she's not walking in faith. She is, but she's just got wisdom all over her, you see. Amen. How many children have you got? Uh, we have one. One. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Three. You only think about two, but three. <laughs> anyway.
All right, I must get out of the way, otherwise we're here all, like, we're here all morning. Um, I'm sorry, oh, no, I'm not going to apologise for that. You, you could have just gone, I mean, just let me do my thing <laughs> anyway. But it was fun, I, I enjoyed it. I love being with you, I love the Spirit of God present, and I loved your hunger, and I loved your, I loved your thirst, and you know, you're just so beautiful, very beautiful. Anyway, I told the story this morning about uh, picking my mum up from hospital last week. She's 92, and uh, she had had a heart attack. And I um, picked her up to take her home, and we called into the pharmacist to pick up a script at the hospital. And you know, emailed through, and and uh, I went in to pick it up, and said, "It's not ready. Ten minutes. Come back. You know, 15 minutes. Go and tell mum and want a coffee. She doesn't want one. I I go and get one. Come back. She's on the phone, and it's the pharmacist and uh, mum finishes the conversation I didn't know it was until I asked her who was that she said it was the chemist I said what do they want well they, they just said your husband has just been in <laughs> <laughs> I'm suffering I am because that's not the first time it happened I've got a, I've got a lovely wife beautiful wife and uh I was out shopping with my mum again. This, was, this is going back a little bit. And I saw this dress in a shop window. I thought, my wife would... Oh, I'm going to look good on my wife. I'm going to buy it for her. So I went and bought the dress. And you know the thing. You don't quite know the size, do you? So the, the shop assistant says to me, oh, you can bring it back. They can bring, she can bring it back, you know, exchange it, of course. You know. So I took it home, and uh, she loved it. It was a size too small, by the way, which is... Good on me, huh? <laughs> so she had to go back and exchange it. And she went in to exchange it the next day, the very next day. And the shop assistant says, yes, I remember. Your father was in here <laughs> yesterday. So, um, I don't know. I've Someone needs to encourage me tonight. Right? <laughs> anyway, let's get into this. Let me pray. Amen. Father, I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit here in this room. Wherever your body is gathered together, Lord, there is incredible potential for the manifest presence of your Spirit to be tangibly experienced. Because you long more than we long for to impart your Holy Spirit. that We might just know the intimacy of your presence and your love with us. The healing that you bring the hope that you instill into our hearts, the faith that you impart for the promises that you have for all of us. For it is, Lord, that we would live an abundant life filled with your love and your purpose and your meaning to make a difference and to glorify the name of Jesus. And so we give this time to you and pray, Lord, just have your way with us. Lead us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to talk about uh, the spiritual war that we're in uh, because I think sometimes the church doesn't really fully appreciate, understand uh, the intensity of the fight and the reality of the spiritual dimension. And we're just lacking a little. We just need to pick up an aspect of the propagation of the gospel that we tend just to lay down. I'm going to talk a little bit about the demonic realm and uh, maybe just give you some encouragement around this. Uh, I, uh, I started I was in ministry now for 40 years and I remember 
in my first ministry, first church in Napier. I was, in, uh, uh, I was just a youth pastor, by the way, so didn't know much. Anyway, <laughs> you the youth pastor? No, no, good, okay, all right. Who's the youth pastor here? You are. Oh, you are, okay, yeah. Youth pastors. They, they are, you know, man, youth pastors are that greatest, aren't they? They know everything, actually. Did I say, what did I say before? <laughs> it was just one of those, was just getting, yeah, a stumble. It was a stumble. All right. Anyway, anyway, there was a guy in the, in the church uh, who had been suffering from uh, depression uh, for a couple of years. In fact, it was so bad that he had tried to uh, take his life. And the senior pastor had been talking to me about this guy and just, just filling me in, not quite sure, like, where, you know, where did he go with this? Anyhow, um, I was a little charismatic boy in a Baptist situation, and uh, he got hold of this, and he made an appointment to come and see me. And uh, I knew that the root issue, uh, or at least the cause symptomatically of his depression was demonic. It was just a revelation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I hadn't had too much experience in that area, in fact, very, very little at all. So I got hold of this book called uh, Pigs in the Parlor by Frank and Ida Hammond. I don't know whether any of you have actually heard of that great book. It's like a kind of like how to deliver people from demons, you know, like one, two, three, four, A, B, C, D, or something like this. So like, about an hour before he come in, I'm reading the book. <laughs> How do we do this? <laughs> Seriously. And he came in and we sat down and we, I kind of I had the book open, you know, like, <laughs> what do I do next? Anyway, it was wonderful because in the moment I started to pray for him, I don't know if anybody could have prayed, you know, like this before with him and began to address the spirit behind this he began to shake there's a bit of a manifestation and then this very very loud scream very loud scream just came out of his mouth as this thing was expelled and uh, he was he was set free I mean there's nothing like the reality or the experiential reality of that kind of light dark encounter it, I mean, my wife hates it. You know, when she sees, when we're ministering in deliverance, if it's happening in a service, she says, I'll, I'll just stick to my crafts. You know, you do what you do, but I prefer crafts. Anyway, he was set free, which is, which is uh, you know, a, a very, very uh, wonder, wonderful thing. Because, I, you know, my thought is that there are many, many Christians who are living far less than the life that Jesus intended for them because they haven't dealt with the issues at the spiritual realm, at the demonic realm. And so I, you know, and the church seemed to have lost sight of this over the years. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that tonight, all right? Was that a reasonable introduction? Yeah, okay. I'll tell you a real story. I'll tell you lots of stories, actually, but we'd be here all night like we were there all morning. And uh, mind you, we've got cookies and stuff afterwards, eh? So we're good. Here we go. We've got everything going for us. Okay. John 10, verse 10. You all know this, this scripture, and I'm not, I'm, I'm speaking topically tonight. Jesus said this. These are the words of Jesus, and these are for you. We just kind of, we're so familiar with these words, we tend to just let them roll off the tongue and don't take it into the spirit and heart. 
But Jesus speaking, I came that they might have life. Might have life. And they might have it abundantly. It's God's heart for you. It's the heart of Jesus for you, wherever you are right now in your life circumstance. Whatever's going on in your heart, the, the intention of Jesus for you is that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. In the New Living Translation, it says a rich and satisfying life. I quite like that, that particular translation, and I'll tell you why, because in the Pentecostal context, over the years it occurs to me that there's been a very narrow application of that promise, simply referring really to material prosperity, you know, health, wealth, prosperity. It's all to do with like the material or the, or the external. And uh, people get quite confused because they don't, you know, they're not seeing that necessarily in their life. So it occurs to me that when Jesus is talking about abundance, he's talking about rich and satisfying, but he's not t- talking about things externally. He's talking about abundance and rich and satisfying as an internal concept. It's all about the soul. It's all about the, the inside. So irrespective of your circumstances, whatever's going on, the promise is that if you live a life which is surrendered, truly surrendered, to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are empowered then to reign in every aspect of your life, irrespective of whether you are in a season of prosperity or increase or whether it is a season of adversity and loss. That's what Jesus intends. That whatever the circumstances, you stand firm and you reign in those circumstances and you have victory over them. And so rich and satisfying to me is to know spiritual, mental, and emotional peace. Living victoriously you know, with a general sense of well-being, irrespective of what's going down in your world. That's an incredible promise, isn't it? And yet that's what Jesus actually offers us. And we need to be aware of that promise, and we need to be aware of how we actually step into it. You've got to step into the promise. You've got to lay hold of it. There are things that you are required to do. And it's particularly important for all of us to understand that we are in this spiritual fight. It is very, very real. And we're in a fight with the one who prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 9, verse 8. So the devil and his minions have no kind thoughts towards you whatsoever. Their role is to keep you from the abundance that Jesus has for you. His role is to steal and to kill and destroy. So as you sit here tonight, you know, where have you been eaten up? What's been taken away from you? What do you believe to be God's promise for you, but yet you've not attained it? Or maybe you had it once and you've, you've lost it. Where have you been devoured? And how do you get that back? What's the way? Well, the way, of course, is Jesus. Jesus. 
because this abundance is found in the power of the Holy Spirit given to you to overcome the temptations of this fallen world and this realm of spiritual darkness that seeks to take us captive and seeks to bring us down. Now, that's the wonderful thing. I've come that you might have life, and you might have it abundantly. That is really good news, isn't it? And yet I look around and I see that despite that wonderful promise of a rich and satisfying life, so many followers of Jesus fail to experience the victory and the freedom and live defeated lives. So how can that be turned around? Well, I'm going to share with you three things just to consider tonight, okay? So I'm, yeah, I'm just, it's kind of like, you know, let's wake up, church. Let's get real and understand what the battle is and uh, have some appreciation in terms of whom we are contending with and especially the power and authority that we have in us in Christ to actually defeat uh, that enemy. So there's three things I'm going to try and get through tonight to share with you because I'm an old man and I waffle <laughs> and I go off on tangents and things like that and I have to be stared back, you know. My wife is good at that. She's got a little, little flashing key ring thing, <laughs> honestly. And she, you know, she says, you know, like I'm preaching, she Flash, flash, flash. It's kind of like, off, mate, off. <laughs> Time to finish. I'm just coming up to the, you know, like, like the, you want to receive Jesus right now? <laughs> anyway, she's my gift. Where was I? Right. Okay. I don't even know where I was now. See, this, this, this is what happens. Any, anything happens. So three things. That's, that's right. Thank you, Angela. Three things. Was that Three. Thank you very much. Listening. It's a real Christian. <laughs> All right. First thing is this. Take this home with you. Oh, yeah. I'm on track. Take this home with you. We need to understand the reality of the spiritual conflict that we are in. I don't think a lot of Christians do. Not now Western cultural context. Go to another traditional worldview, you'll find it's completely different. <laughs> but we have a little difficulty with this. We're uncomfortable around it, really. In Christian theology, the world, the flesh, and the devil are the implacable enemies of the soul. Okay, The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, while we easily accept the temptations faced from the world and understand the temptations that the flesh has to grapple with, we underestimate the intense nature and onslaught of the spiritual war that is against us. And so as a consequence, we fail to fight the battle on all fronts, forgetting what lies behind the fight, behind the world and the flesh level. And that fight is with the devil. That's the reality. And aiding him in this war against God's people in particular is a host of invisible, evil, supernatural beings the Bible calls evil spirits or demons. And it's really important to, for all of us to understand the nature of this fight and who we are fighting with in the battles that we face in order to attain 
victory. Now, this is what Paul says about this supernatural, this dark, evil, supernatural realm. You'll know the scriptures well, Ephesians 6, verses 11 to 12. Put on all the armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not. We think that we are in our temporal world, material world. And in a sense we are, but that's not what is behind them. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So we are engaged in this spiritual war against a hierarchy of malevolent evil beings. Now here's a good question. Have you thought of it? Where did they come from? It's a good question. Where did they come from? Bible tells us about them. They're there. They're real things. Beings, persons. Where did they come from? Well, some say from the fallen angels, angels who, who joined Satan's rebellion against God. That's a fairly common theory. It is all just theory, by the way. And even what I'm going to share with you is just theoretical in a sense. But I've got a, a, a presentation that might be a little bit more plausible even than that. You know, when you read Genesis 6, verses 1 to 4, you'll see that something rather unusual took place between the humankind and the angelic realm, and that some very senior angels, called the Watchmen, by the way, in the book of Enoch, we'll talk about that in just a moment, went beyond their, well, went outside their territory and disobeyed God and had sexual intercourse with the daughters of men. As a consequence, the fruit of those kind of relationships, or those kind of unions, were what the Bible calls the Nephilim or the giants. Genesis 6 verses 1 to 4 refers to that. And uh, Jude actually alludes to those particular angels as a consequence of their rebellion being thrown into the abyss, abyss waiting for the, the day of judgment. But you know, speaking of the book of Enoch, which is not a book that you know, made the canon of Scripture, it's outside of it. And if you do read it, you'll understand why. I mean, I think Enoch was on LSD or something or other. I mean, it's, it's worse than Revelation. <laughs> you know, you struggle through Revelations, you get the book of Enoch, man, it's woo-woo, you know. But there are some things in there that are quite plausible and have, you know, direct correlation with, with Scripture, with, with, with the Bible. So the book of Enoch says this, Enoch 5, verses 28 and 30. Listen to this. And now the giants, okay, so the giants, the Nephilim, the offspring of the angelic realm and the human woman. And now the giants who are produced from the spirit and the flesh shall be called evil spirits on the earth. And on the earth shall be their dwelling. And the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle and work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. They rob, they kill, and they destroy. The commentator of Enoch said this, not having souls, once the giants died, they became roaming spirits on the earth. 
being able to inhabit the bodies of men and women, animals and other forms to enslave them. I thought, wow, that is really very interesting, isn't it? Quite plausible, isn't it? But anyway, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, that's, that's just, again, on the basis of Enoch and maybe a little bit of speculation, I'm not sure. But I look at that and I think, okay, yeah, fair enough. I kind of I probably run with that, maybe more than I do the idea of you know, beautiful angelic beings you know, reducing themselves to the form of you know, demonic entities. But whatever you think, they're real. They're a real enemy. And the nature of the battle that we are in is intense. And it must be fully appreciated if we know victory over it. All right? So understand the reality of it. It's not myth, it's not imagination, it's not some sort of fairy tale. These things really exist. And they're very active. And it's part of the war that we are in. Okay? So acknowledge the reality of the spiritual battle. The next thing I want to share with you is this, that demonic confrontation was a dominant feature in the ministry of Jesus. We kind of brush over that. But I tell you what, it was more there than you actually appreciate and realize. It was a major component of his ministry, this confrontation with the demonic realm. In fact, his ministry began with deliverance when he was teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. Mark 1, 23-27. Suddenly. Now, see, I was talking this morning about the suddenlies in church. I love it when there's suddenlies. Most of us freak out. That's because we used to have little tiny club sandwich services, eh, where everything's in order, okay? But, you know, South City C3 is going to be open to the suddenlies. I believe it. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Now, even in our Pentecostal churches today, many would be deeply offended by that kind of sudden interruption of an orderly service, by that kind of dynamic light versus dark manifestation. Because we have this need for control. A lack of understanding. The fear that we have of offending or making people feel uncomfortable pushes us into these very tidy gatherings devoid of any real impacting manifestation of God's power. And this morning we talked about the early church, you know, where Everyone's just filled with a sense of war. Because God was present. Things were happening. Not just the revelation of the truth of his beautiful word, but the dynamic of God 
dunamis of God, the power of God present in the meeting. And so they're filled with a sense of awe. And I think, as I said this morning, we've got to get back to, we've got to bring the awe back in the church. It's lacking awe. And part of it is understanding the reality of this spiritual conflict that we're in and beginning to minister appropriately to deal with it. Because it seems to me, you know, that many, like we said, we're hungry, God, for you to come. Please, God, come. We want more of you. But when more of him comes, we get a bit upset about that. <laughs> it's okay, like, getting into the river ankle deep, eh? Let's have a little splash around. Wee! Wee! Huh? But what does Ezekiel say? Would he get in over our heads? What does that mean? Out of your depths. Beyond your comfort zone. It's all in the stretch. And I know that when God comes, when he does come, yes, it can be beautiful and gentle and filled with peace, kind of like it was this morning. But sometimes it can be just absolutely messy. And we don't like mess because people get disturbed by mess. We feel safer when things are tidy. And so I understand that there will be people who, if God was to reveal himself in that particular way, might be upset and might go. All right? But I want to tell you something. That's sad, but there are people who run away when the demonic, you know, when God begins to deal with this whole thing. But I want to encourage the pastors in particular and say, look, more people are going to be impacted and drawn because the power of God is present in your church. And when Jesus is in the house, you can't stop people flocking to it. You don't even have to do, tell it on Facebook. You know, the word will get it around, I tell you. Beat social media, the real power encounter, spreads like wildfire, word of mouth. And people just come because they know that God is there. He's real. And they're filled with a sense of awe because of his presence and because of what he does. And in this context, in the synagogue in Capernaum, remember, this is like church. This happens. And this is a response to the people, Mark 1.27. Amazement gripped the audience. And they began to discuss what happened. What sort of teaching is this? They asked excitedly. You know, like, God comes and it's so amazing when he comes. And most people are filled with joy and inquiry and expectation as a, as a consequence and they want to know more. That's what church should be like. And it does happen. I was in a C3 church not too long ago and preaching on the power of the Holy Spirit because I only know one topic. <laughs> And in the ministry time, I hadn't given an older call or anything. I just started to do what I did, wander. And I looked at one lady. She looked at me. And she began to shake. And we just made eye contact. And she fell to the ground. And this scream, this is in church, just came out. <laughs> it was a spirit of witchcraft. 
So we dealt with that. But the thing is, everyone was kind of riveted because church doesn't, this doesn't happen like this. Like, what the? You know, but in a positive sense. And the faith level just rose. And God began to you know, minister. But you know, after I'm having lunch with a pastor and one of the church members comes up and says, I just want to tell you, I have never seen anything like that. I am so excited. I was amazed. I have never seen the power of God come like that and set someone free. And so I'm, I'm sharing those kind of stories with you just to encourage you not to be hesitant or to hold back in terms of stepping into this particular realm. Because I tell you today, people, well, always, but I think particularly today, people, they don't want just words. They don't. There's too many words. There's a whole lot of philosophical and belief systems floating around now, competing with one another. Why should they believe the Bible? Well, you know, the gospel is both proclamation and demonstration, illumination and illustration. We've only been preaching half a gospel. We do the proclamation and the illumination, and we leave behind the demonstration or the illustration. That's got to change. We've got to get back to a better balance. The man said, this was the first time I've ever seen God's real power. And if we're going to significantly advance the kingdom with impact, we've got to recapture our passion beyond the point of just pure hunger to the point of real action and stepping into this realm, being properly equipped to, of course, and begin to fight this fight with the power that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us so that in this meeting where there's incredible potential for God to be made manifest through Christ, there will be power encounters, signs and wonders, gatherings that amaze. They don't all have to be dramatic. God comes by different degrees. Sometimes it is, like I said, just that sense of God's presence. You've ever been in the room and the service finishes and nobody moves? Because there's one linger. And then other times it's just overwhelming. I've been in all kinds of meetings. Overwhelming is awesome. In fact, probably so overwhelming you probably don't need it every week, you know, because like, like, it's still too much for me. Because God is that powerful and you just feel with a sense of wonder and a sense of awe. But the point is, we've got to make room for the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean for you? That's going to mean that you're going to have to be vulnerable. It's going to mean that you will be willing to be made uncomfortable at times. Because I want to tell you something. You know, when the suddenlies do happen, in my experience, when God intervenes and takes over our program, sovereignly moves, it has never been neat from our perspective. It has never been neat. And so we've got to get used to the mess and the untidy if we really want to see God move. Now, that's scary for a lot of people 
But that's the reality. Am I making sense? You're agreeing with me? Oh, thank goodness for that. I feel affirmed. Thank you. That's wonderful. But it's just my, it's my desire, you see. I'm just so hungry for this. Anyway, let me just like, give you some instruction around it. That said, breaking the power of the demonic influence doesn't need to be a sideshow. And I see a lot of models. You know, I watch YouTube and stuff, and I'm, it's wonderful to see God move. But sometimes I just feel, this is just me, it's just where I sit, is that sometimes it gets to be too much of a, like a show, you know? And uh, I'm not entirely comfortable with that. that. That's not meant to be a criticism. It's just my personal like, response. Maybe it's a cultural issue. I, I, I don't know. Um, w- when people are delivered, they're not always manifestations, by the way, so it doesn't always have to be dramatic at all. Not at all. Sometimes it, it is dramatic, and you need to be able to deal with it. But here's my advice to you. And it comes from Jesus himself. When this demon manifested in the synagogue Jesus didn't get into some sort of intense deep extended conversation with the demon he didn't say well you know hey, hey stop everything guys look what's going on here because you know sometimes these manifestations you know the, the devil's pretty good at this too he can perform so he distracts us from what we're really there for it does become the, the sideshow. Now, what did Jesus do? When this demon manifested and screamed, Jesus exercised his authority. Be quiet. And we have this authority. Be quiet. And then the next thing was, come out. Come out of him. So there doesn't have to be all this mucking around. They don't have to take control. They don't have to become the distraction, but if it's a, but it looks like it's going to be a bit of a prolonged thing, you know, there are, there are ways of dealing with this. Maybe you exit to a side room or something or rather, or you just quieten things down. Because my advice is this when you're dealing with the demonic realm and you're praying, in fact, this goes for any prayer, to be honest, in terms of ministry, dial down, don't dial up. <laughs> You can look loud is not power. Some people think it is. A firm, like like just rather firm, assertive, confident in faith. But loud is not power. Drawing attention to what's going on is not what it's about. It's about someone being set free and someone being healed. Can I tell you a story at the risk of taking another five minutes that I'm not supposed to have? <laughs> I was doing a evangelistic meeting in Fiji many years ago now for the AUG church over there. I was a Baptist boy then. And uh, I was about to get up and preach and the pastor leading the, this crusade thing says to me, Pastor, because we all the pastors used to sit on the stage in those days. Can you remember that, you old Pentecostals? <laughs> okay, so I'm seeing that. Anyway, and he says, Pastor, when you speak, I want you to speak loud. And I said, what, what do you want me to speak loud for? Because when you speak loud, you've got the power. 
And I must have been quick on my feet in those days, you know, like thinking, you know, with a with the quip, you know, response. And I said to him, come here. And he leans closer and I said, we Baptists only have to whisper. <laughs> and we've got the power. <laughs> anyway, I got up and I spoke loud. <laughs> because he was the boss. And that's what he was wanting, and God really showed up. So maybe, maybe loud does work. So dial down. So Jesus' ministry focused on setting free people from demons. That's, you know, oh, that's only one verse, Wayne. Well, let me give you another one, Mark 1.39. So following that, he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogue and casting out Demons, about 250 synagogues in Galilee. So he did that. He kept doing it right up until a few days before he was taken to the cross. And that's recorded in Luke 13, verse 14, where Jesus says, Go tell that fox, meaning Herod, that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. So probably you haven't even appreciated that before. Because we talk about, come on, preach the gospel. Heal the sick. And we stop there. True? We're very comfortable, well, pretty much, sharing about Jesus. We're pretty comfortable praying for the sick. But let's not go to the third dimension of our weaponry, you know, this Casting out demons. We don't hear about any, any, anything about casting out a demon. So most of you probably, well, I don't know. I can't speak for this church. But many Christians are not equipped to even do that if they come across one. And since they're all over the place, well, more than we would like to appreciate. Let's not get carried away here, Wayne. We need to be equipped to deal with them because it's, it's part of the commission. So Jesus' ministry started, continued, and finished with the casting out of demons and healing the sick because often they're interwoven. Prayed for a lady who was deaf in one ear. Came to see me. Yeah, let's pray for this. God heals. And we prayed and pop. Did you like that? Pop. Pop. Good pop. The ear opened. Awesome. Anyway, back in my office a couple of weeks later, Pastor, I'm deaf again in that ear. Okay, I'm learning. Discern, maybe this is a spirit, you know. Spirit of deafness, come out in Jesus' name. Shudder. Voice comes out, no. Man's voice out of a woman's body. No, I have been here a long time. Well, power in you is greater than he was in the world. Amen. Come out in the name of Jesus. Throw him to the floor. Out for a few minutes. The trance comes back. Pastor, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. The, you know, that goes on, that story, because she came back again uh, with deafness. I'm actually probably sharing this in the wrong place, but it doesn't matter, does it? It's just that the demonic, I want to explain to you that you know, we, see, we deal with this, you know, I'm happy to pray for you in terms of healing. But sometimes, and you don't see the healing. 
And the reason is because sometimes we're, not, we're praying for the symptom, we're not praying for the, the root. But the demonic story goes further because I said to her, when she came in the what, one, two, third time, I had the wisdom to say, how long have you had this? Because remember, the demon said a long time. She said, oh, 10 years. Then it just occurred to me, what happened to you 10 years ago? What happened? And I'll talk about access points in a minute. She said, my husband did something that broke my heart. And I said, have you forgiven him? She says, no, I haven't. I'll come back to that. Pause there. We'll come back. Come back to it. But there we are. So where was I? Jesus has given authority to his church now to overcome the demonic realm. Okay, so three things I've shared with you. The reality of the spiritual war that we're in. Jesus' ministry of demonic confrontation. This is the last thing, okay? And then we'll, then we'll see what God would like to do. Jesus has given us the authority, his church, to overcome the demonic realm. So we need to know that, okay? So it's the real deal. Jesus focused on it. And Jesus has given his church authority to overcome it, to do his ministry. So we preach the full gospel, we preach the kingdom, we heal the sick, and we cast out demons. If we don't do the third bit, some people are not going to be receiving the freedom to grow and progress in the way that they ought to, to enter into the abundant life. Now this is what Jesus said, it's very important. Mark 16, verse 15, take a lot of other texts to support this. Great commission. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. It's verse 15, verse 17. These signs will accompany those who believe. Do you believe? Yeah. All right. No non-believers here? You wouldn't put your hand up anyway. Would you? <laughs> These signs will accompany those who believe. Then it goes on and says, they will cast out demons. they will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Verse 20, And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Now this is why we need the signs. What has Jesus said? The word is confirmed. It is validated by the supernatural power of God present to heal and to deliver. Do you see the importance of it? And you see how the church has been so weak in terms of its impact because it's only propagating half a gospel or maybe two-thirds, but not the full gospel. Even Nicodemus, that, that Pharisee, the, the, the intellectual, the thinker, very educated, highly respected, knew that there was something about Jesus, something about him. God is with you, he said. God is with you. Can anyone say that about you? Is your, you know, do you carry something? Do you, when, you move, when you walk into a room, do you shift atmospheres? Do you bring peace into a situation? Is the love of Christ manifested in the way that you interact and you relate? Are you so approachable that people will say, 
hey, I'm going through this. And you're brave enough to say, may I pray for you? See, with God is in you, there's something magnetic and something appealing. The whole, you know, they're drawn to you because they recognize and sense that you're carrying something that they need. And they need Jesus. And we've got to be those kind of people. So Nicodemus goes and says, I know that God is with you. Why? Listen to this. Your miraculous signs, John 3 verse 2, are evidence. Most people with brains want evidence, don't they? The power of his presence, his miraculous power, the signs and wonders, are evidence. They confirm the validity of the word. It is true. God is real. He's alive. And he's present and he's powerful. So important, particularly in evangelism. It's important in the church too for the building up of the church. Let me tell you a story. Another story? You like stories? This is in Samoa. We've got a church in C3 Samoa. Get over there, John. You'll love it. You'll love it. It's an awesome church. Love the power of God. Oh, this beautiful church. Anyway, there's a doctor in the church who works in the hospital there in Apia. He's on an accident and emergency. And like, this is awesome, man. This is, I, this is really awesome. I wish it was my story, but it's his story, but it's still just as good, okay? So someone comes into the emergency with a young woman who has been hysterical, out of control for something like 24 hours. Maybe, maybe it was longer than that. The family are so concerned. You know, two big Samoan guys, and, you know, they're like, got to carry her in and trying to put her on the bed. The nurses are trying to hold her down. And uh, Doc is about to, like, he's, looking, he's getting the injection ready to sedate her. He's a Christian, you know, this is the doctor in the church. He's on, on duty that night. And he goes to give the injection, and he notices that on the, her back is the imprint of a hand, but larger than a human hand. What about the Nephilim? <laughs> oh, who knows? But he knew it wasn't made by any like human contact. And there's some spirit that some owners are particularly aware of, etc. He recognized it as a spiritual issue. So instead of giving her the injection, he goes up to her. I'll use you as an example. Now, don't you manifest, all right? I, I don't want any untidiness in this church tonight. We could be here all night if I start with him anyway. But he just goes like this. He goes, seriously, this is it. Seriously, a doctor in the A&E. In the name of Jesus, you are delivered. That's all he did. Boom. Calm. Quiet. Still. Free. Amen. Oh God, more of that power. And the family is so awed, overawed. He says Jesus with them, proclamation. And they all receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Probably wouldn't get away with it now, hospitals. They'd probably put you in hospital if you tried to do it. <laughs> Huh? But isn't that a beautiful story? But you see, that's what we're meant to be doing. 
Oops, sorry. Bag. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just about to close for those of you who are about to nod off. <laughs> God's supernatural power is freely available to you and to me. It's necessary for the building up of the church and the building up of God's people. Necessary for us to be set free from this demonic oppression that, you know, that we're contending with. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at Jesus' ministry in terms of deliverance, most of it was in the synagogues, like in the church, if you like. Some of it was in public. I've done it in public. Uh, not New Zealand, though, because someone would have called the police. They would have. It was real gospel. It was like we're walking up. It's in Fiji, actually, where you know we've got churches. Walking up a hill, and we've been visiting a couple of families. And these people come up, knew we were pastors, and said, "Look, would you please pray for Mary?" This is outside, you know, full view of everybody. So yeah, where's Mary? And Mary was standing over to the side a little bit. She, I looked at her, and she's in a bit of a trance. You know. So I went up to her and I said, Hi, Mary. I'm Wayne. I'd love to pray for you. What's happening? She just said to me, like she said, I just feel so depressed and I've been suffering from migraines all day. And like she's kind of listless, you know. And as soon as we began to pray and put lay hands on her, she manifested a demon. The Fijians knew exactly what was going on. So she falls to the ground. There's a bit of a struggle and stuff because this didn't want to come out. But... Eventually she's set free and you know, like totally set free. But everybody like in the houses all around all come out, all standing there watching. And I thought, gee, it's just like the New Testament. Because you know, somebody like the Indian family still wearing their garb and stuff. It was like it was like I'd been transported back in time and it was in the days of Jesus, you know, and here's someone being set free. I was off to speak at a service and I was late. So but I wanted to stop and say Man and woman, what you have seen here today, you know, I, I, I wanted to like, preach, the, preach the gospel and never got the opportunity anyway, I digress, which is what I do. All right. It could be demonic. I'm not sure. We'll find out, yeah. I'm staying with Paul and Sue, they'll work on, they'll work on me tonight. But it's interesting that it took place in, in, the, in, the, in the synagogues. Um, now, and most of the ministry that I have been involved in, deliverance ministry, I tell you this, most of it has been in the church. Most of it. 99% of it. All right? So that raises a very good question. How does a Christian who has the Holy Spirit also have an evil spirit? You ask that question? How can that happen? Well, let me just ask another question. How is it that you can have the Holy Spirit and still sin? Just thought I'd ask that as well. Because you may as well. The Holy Spirit is in you. How come you can still sin? Yeah. Well, the issue is this. I, I, there's a lot of confusion around it because this, this is the thing. Um, the word possessed translated, even in the New Living Translation here, it's probably not a good translation. The Greek word is diamon isomai. Diamon isomai. Which actually really properly translated means demonized, not possessed. 
if you have the Holy Spirit, you're possessed by the Holy Spirit in terms of like ownership. He may not be in full control because you all know what it means to be surrendered and filled. Uh, you know, we have the Holy Spirit, but we're not letting him control us. But, you know, he's there. Demonized means that one of these beings has just taken an aspect or a control over an area of your person. And they can cause all kinds of afflictions and you can't, can't shake them off. But no Christian is ever possessed. They can be demonized. So how do they gain influence? All right, well, how do they gain this, you know, this access? Actually, it was great because here's another story. I'm sorry, it's going to be a late service. <laughs> lingering, lingering. They might as well just linger now. All right. <laughs> Because this is a cool story. I shared a little bit about it this morning. I was in Fiji teaching at the Baptist College on the power of the Holy Spirit. Conservative evangelical. You know, their theological premise is the gifts are no longer available. They're foundational. That's what they believe. But the principal was a New Zealand Baptist pastor who's a friend of mine. And he knew that I was, like, charismatic. A charismatic Baptist. Anyway, uh, so he invited me to do this. And I've been there for several days. Nothing much had happened. And then... So I was preaching on healing, and I told the church this morning about only one person came forward and manifested a demon, and the Bible college principal then said, why not just want to see something happen? Rather, no, one way around. Bible college said, principal said that, and then the demon manifested, and, and all, all hell broke loose. Seriously, all hell broke loose. Anyway, where was I going with that? Oh, yes. Before that, when I was... Uh, uh, sharing the, the, the session, speaking of this lecture, I'd made reference to Christians having been demonized. And a Southern Baptist, American, Southern American Baptist pastor put his hand up and said, excuse me, I'm not going to do the accent because I'm not good at it. It might be, might be Canadian by mistake and then I'll just offend you. And that'll be. Anyway, but this guy says, how can a Christian have a demon? He asked, he asked that question. Well, anyway, you know, after that manifestation, that... Baptist pastor came up to me and said, that's my associate pastor. Can you pray for me for baptism in the Holy Spirit? Which was awesome. And he did that and he went out and healed somebody. He went and healed the chief's daughter of the village that he ministered in of asthma, suffered from chronic asthma. And he went and prayed for her and healed her. And uh, so he was overwhelmed. But, you know, look, your theology has to match reality. Your theology has to correspond with experience. Otherwise, some, there's something wrong with the interpretation of the experience or the theology. There's got to be a compatibility there. And all I can say to you is that I've delivered more people from demons than I've actually seen them healed. Or, you know, you know what I mean? Which is, maybe it's just the thing that I do. But, um, uh, but... I'm just saying, for me, it's real. You couldn't tell me otherwise because I've seen it. Anyway, I'm trying to land this, John. Josh, I'm trying to land it. I'm doing my very best, but there's a bit of turbulence. And <laughs> but we're, we're slowly getting there. Okay? You're okay? <sighs> Gee whiz. I'm never, I, I got my special preacher's watch on. It's... it's Slower than the rest. How they gain access? This is what I was going to tell you. Because I wanted to, like, you know, properly equip you with this, bring a balanced presentation. Okay, how they gain access? Three main ways, just very quickly. They gain access. One I've found uh, through generational transmission, things passed down through the family line. They're called familiar spirits, and they may manifest in you know various different ways. 
It's, it's a fact. So, you, you know, uh, it's just one of those things that it's uh, in you from the time that you're born and manifests, takes control in a particular area. You might see things running in families that are not good. Sometimes that's a consequence of demonic influence, familiar spirits passed down through the family line. That's one source. The other source is uh, persistent habitual sin. You know, like the lady with the deaf ear. Lovely lady, but harbored unforgiveness towards her husband. This bitterness, root of bitterness springs up to defile many. She was defiled as a consequence of this habitual sin of unforgiveness. That's why Jesus insists on it. Because it's such a doorway and such a, yeah, it's such a gateway to the demonic realm. It'll poison you. So, uh, generational transmission, um, habitual sin, and the other area, the main area, I'm just really quickly going over these, uh, is uh, trauma. Now, you've been sexually abused? Suffered some sort of credible loss, misfortune, accident, car accident? No lady who's married, she's just like fallen apart. It never been the same since uh, she had a car accident. Uh, her ex-husband was telling me the story. And straight away, I mean, she's been demonized. She's tormented. It's a consequence. She's, she lives in fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So much fear and anxiety. People are gripped by it. People are paralyzed by it. It is controlling them. And the doctors medicate it and manage it. and it still can't be free. Pastors pray. It's still not free. Because we're not dealing with the stronghold often. Now, I'm just going to, you know, bring the caution there. I, I, I mean, tonight is just like making you aware and maybe exploring and becoming better equipped to confront this. There's a difference between the flesh and a spiritual influence. The thing is, like if you, if you have this anger, a temper that you just can't control, and you've prayed about this, and you've, you maybe even received counseling about it, but you know, it's just, it just always happens. If you can't control that, despite having submitted to the power of Jesus and prayed for that ability to be able to do it and it's still with you, then the chances are that it is demonic. And the spirit of anger needs to be broken over you before you've got the capacity to be able to have your mind renewed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God to be transformed. Because you can only crucify the flesh. You can't crucify a demon. The demon has to be cast out. <laughs> The other thing I want to just finish with, I've said finish about 15 times, I realize that, is that, you know, there are three dimensions to this warfare, the gospel, you know, healing, and the demonic. The three can be interactive, but I want you to understand this because it's, you know, you hear a message like this and it's a little bit, there's a temptation to be carried away. The two big deceptions that Satan likes to so into our heart and spirit is this, that there are demons everywhere or nowhere. 
They're either everywhere or they're nowhere. So I want you to keep balanced about this and avoid both extremes. But then, you know, if you recognize something in your world that you can't seem to defeat is still enslaving you, then all I encourage you to do is this. Yield to Christ in humility. Repent if necessary. And in the name of Jesus, be set free. Then it's important to grow and strengthen yourself in the Lord so that you live in his power and in the truth of his word to resist the devil so that when he does come, he will flee from you because that power in you, who lives in you, is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. All right? So this whole thing of deliverance remains a very important ministry for us for breakthrough and for victory and living in the abundant life that Jesus has for us. So I guess what I'm just trying to do is to encourage you to step out, but lovingly, wisely, sensitively, but boldly to embrace the supernatural work of the Spirit in this area and set people free. Because Jesus, John 8.36, says this. Isn't this beautiful? If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Isn't he a wonderful God? Amen? Amen. Been a good boy. All right. Should we have a little bit of ministry? Doesn't have to be, look, I'm not into the, like, the dramatic. I mean, I love it. It's the dial-down thing. I just love the gentle work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So just let God do his thing. But here's, here, here's, here's the older call. Like, let's move this back. We, we'll have time to go into the lingering. It'll be all right. Okay? And the chocolate, what? Chocolate something? Cookie. The baking. The baking, yeah. I think it could be a gluttony thing there that we need to... Yeah. Anyway. I just want you to, I just, I just want you to stand. And, and uh, Angela, come and, come and just give us a little bit of instrumental because it just, you know, just like create that worship atmosphere. And, and here's the deal, guys. You know, you don't want a long, drawn-out evening. If you believe or sense that there's something in your world that you're just not overcoming... You so desperately want to know freedom in this area. Maybe it's, it's depression. Maybe it is anxiety. Maybe it is unforgiveness. Maybe it is some constant sickness recurring in, in your world. Anything that's creating a, a, you know, an, a, a you know, torment for you. And you want to be free of it, but despite your prayers... Despite your sincere seeking heart and pursuit of God, it still seems to have this, you know, this hold on you. Well, you know, let's ask God just to anoint this area. 
And if that's you, I won't get into like specifics and expose anybody on the, over the microphone or anything like that. But what we'll do is we'll just pray and I'll break every demonic stronghold that seeks to tear down and wear down and hold you captive in order that you might be set free. But just allow God to work. Just be you. Just relax. Focus on Jesus. And if there's a work to be done, He will do it. He will be with you. Amen. The Lord your God is with you. That's good. Just focus on Him. Just focus on Him. I like to just, you know, move around a little bit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's open it up. Okay. Just lead us, Angela. You're beautiful. Beautiful worship. I love it. Now, listen. Just do this gently. If you know that there's something that you need to be free from, you just do something. Step into the river. Because as you step out, the miracle will happen. This is just an opportunity for you just to gently receive and be set free. Just gather, just come with a heart of worship. And then I'll just pray over you. And I know that God will touch you and meet with you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's worship. And as we worship, if you feel led, then come and receive what God's got for you.